In Lamentations chapter 5 and verse 7, this is a chapter where it's kind of as woe is me and all the things are going wrong and we're being picked on, so to, so to speak, in the uh, eyes of, the, of Israel, not, of course, Jeremiah. But he says in verse 7, Our fathers sinned and are no more, but we bear their iniquities. So the idea, the, the, the thinking that these folks have is that all this calamity that is coming upon them from God, all this judgment that has come down upon them, is because of the sins of the fathers and what they had done. And it probably doesn't help that God keeps talking about the past kings and the things that they had done and the sins that they were involved with and the uh, the idolatry that they were in. This sort of lends itself to thinking that the sins of the fathers are coming down upon us. So the purpose of this parable, what they would say, is let's blame it on God. This is not our fault. God is holding us responsible for something we didn't even do. This is the mentality of the people. Now, just to complicate this a little bit more, does God punish people for the sin of Adam? Is the sin of the father being visited upon the sons? Because Adam's sin is what got us involved in all this. So you can see some areas where uh, maybe there was some some um, credibility to this. Except that this this uh, chapter, God's going to say, "Man, that's junk. <laughs> I don't visit the sins of the fathers on the sons at all." So what about the sin of Adam? If Adam sinned, how is it that his sin is not visited upon us? If his, his guilt brought us in there. And the, the, the viewpoint on that would be that Adam sinned and brought the sin nature into man. So we're not held accountable for the sin that he did of eating on the tree. We're held accountable because the sin nature has been introduced into human, humankind. So Jesus had to be born of a virgin so he would avoid the sin nature, not the sin. Because if God held us responsible for the sins of the fathers, then Jesus would have been guilty of sin no matter what. But he was born of a virgin to avoid the sin nature. So the problem with Adam was not the sin, it was that he gave in to the devil, which brought the sin nature in. And, of course, right off the bat, Jesus said there was the seed of the woman that was going to crush the head of the serpent. In Deuteronomy 24, 16, fathers shall not be put to death for their children nor shall the children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. So if you didn't do it, you don't have the punishment of it. That's basically what he's saying. So he's introduced this here in that this is what the children of Israel are saying. And uh, he's going to come against it. And he's going to destroy this, this line of thinking. That doesn't mean he's going to stop them from thinking this way. But he is going to destroy this type of thinking but as we'll see at the end here, this type of thinking has not just been isolated to, to the people in Jerusalem, the people in exile, the, the Jewish people. This is a, a thinking that has gone all down through history and we'll find out why. And there is a particular reason. In Ezekiel 18, back over there in verse 4, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. 
the soul who sins shall die. So he's saying all of them are mine. Not just, uh, not just the ones that do good. They're all mine. So uh, by God saying this, he's implying that he cares for all of them. Even the ones that are sinners. He still cares for them. If he cares for them all, he's not going to mistreat them. He cares just as much for the, uh, for the son as he does the father. And just as much for the father as he does the son. And it's not based upon whether they were righteous or, or not. His goal was, and we'll see this as we go through, his goal is to get them to come back. Verse 5. But if a man is just and does what is lawful and right, if he has not eaten on the mountains, nor lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, nor defiled his neighbor's wife, nor approached a woman during her impurity, if he has not oppressed anyone, but has restored to the debtor his pledge, has robbed no one by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry and covered the naked with clothing, if he has not exacted usury, nor taken any increase, but has withdrawn his hand from iniquity and executed true judgment between man and man, if he has walked in my statutes and kept my judgments faithfully, he is just. He shall surely live, says the Lord. Now, all those things are things that were commanded in the Word of God. And we're not going to take the time to go through all the places where they were. And, of course, there's a lot more other things, too. But you could just keep making that list all river along. And there was no sense in, in that. He's uh, he, he What he wants them to see is, if a man is just and he does all the things that are lawful and right, if that's what he does, and he hasn't gone out, uh, uh, he hasn't uh, eaten on the mountains or lifted up his eyes to idols in the house of Israel. Eating on the mountains, you know, we're talking about sacrificing the idols and doing the rituals and, and all the things we go there. Hasn't defiled his neighbor's wife and all the things that, that uh, are in the list. He hasn't done any of these things. If he's walked in my statutes, verse 9, and kept my judgments faithfully, he is just. He shall surely live, says the Lord God, regardless of what anyone else has done. If he has walked this way, then this is what will what will go on. So this is the just man who does right. He then picks up in verse 10, if he begets a son who was a robber or a shedder of blood, who does any of those of these things and does none of those duties, but has eaten on the mountains or defiled his neighbor's wife, if he has oppressed the poor and needy, robbed by violence, not restored the pledge, lifted his eyes to idols or committed abominations, if he has exacted usury, or take an increase, shall he then live? He shall not live. If he has done any of these abominations, he shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. So God is saying, if you're going to go against the commands of God, you're going to put yourself in a, in a trajectory, in a path of death. And when you die, it's on your own head. I warned you, I told you, don't do these things, don't go in this direction. But if you insist on it, if you keep going in that direction, well, then this is what's going to happen. So he cited two here. First off, he cites the, the, the one man, and he says he's, he's a just man, and he's doing the things that a just man would do. But he has a son, and the son does not follow the example of his father. He doesn't go after the, the things that his father did. He doesn't honor the word of God. He doesn't, uh, uh, uh he, he goes after idols. He, he does all these other things. So his father gave him a great example raised him up in the things of God, but still he came out evil. Now something you can take from this is that sometimes good parents have bad kids. And it's uh, real easy for us to take a look at the bad kids and say, well, it's on the parents. Well, apparently in the example that came out here in the prophecy, 
God is saying a good person who did good things and lived their life, life right had kids that were bad. <laughs> he doesn't put any of the fault on the, on the father that the son went in this direction. But sometimes we will look at people who have, or who are good people, but they have bad kids and we say, well, they must not be doing something right. And we can kind of blame them. And apparently in this prophecy, God does not blame them. It's on the, on the child. Some, some children are going to go in a bad way and some are going to go in a good way. You do everything that you can to, to steer them in a good direction. Now, it makes no difference how good his father was. If he was evil and he goes in an evil direction, evil is going to come down upon him. So just as they're trying to say the punishment we're getting is because of our parents, he first off starts this off with the parent was good, but his goodness does not leak down upon the son who was evil. His evilness will be will come upon his own head. So that's the first two examples that he gives. So the father who was good has a son who is bad, but the goodness of the father does not come down upon the evil son. He shall surely die, his blood shall be upon him. Verse 14. If, however, he begets a son who sees, this is the, this is the son who was evil. If he begets a son who sees all the sins which his father has done and considers but does not do likewise. Who has not eaten on the mountains, nor lifted his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, nor defiled his neighbor's wife, has not oppressed anyone, nor withheld a pledge, nor robbed by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry, and covered the naked with clothing, who has withdrawn his hand from the poor, and not received usury or increase, but has executed my judgments, and walked in my statutes. He shall not die for the iniquity of his father. He shall surely live." So we're talking about succession here. We have basically a grandfather, a father, and a son. The grandfather was good. The father was evil. And then the son was, he was good again. So he followed more after the example of his grandfather than he did the father. So he saw the evil that the father did and the father probably taught him that evil and probably encouraged him to go in the direction of that evil and probably encouraged him to go in the direction of worshiping idols and uh, robbery, robbery, with people taking stuff they shouldn't and this part of usury in the children of Israel in the, in the law when they made a loan they were not allowed to uh, exact usury for, for that in fact it says in one place that if a person gives you his coat as surety for a loan by nighttime you give it back to him so he doesn't freeze <laughs> so that was, the, that was the way the law did now you look at Israel's history how long do you think they did that? They probably didn't hang on to that one very long. As uh, many of the other things they, they did not. So here we have this, this son. He says, uh, the evil of that father is not going to come upon this son. Be, and he, he, he lived his life good. He didn't follow in that example of the father. So he's not going to die because of the iniquity of the father. He shall surely live. So these are the examples that he gives him with this. Now in verse 14, let's read that again. If, however, he begets a son who sees all the sins which his father has done and considers, but does not do likewise. Now here of note in this one is the word sees, which is the Hebrew word, and I hope I pronounced this correctly, raha, raha. And it uses that exact same word, though most translations always translate it differently. 
the second time. In this one, in the New King James, it, it uh, translated considers. That word there sees and the word there considers in the New King James is the exact same word in the Hebrew. And those Hebrew scholars that are out there say that it's probably due to emphasis, to emphasize the, um, uh, increase the intensity of the, of this. I want you to see, he saw all that the Father had done. He saw those sins and he considered, trying to, to st- step up the intensity of the thinking, what he was doing there. Now verse 18 says, As for his father, because he cruelly oppressed, robbed his brother by violence, and did what is not good among his people, behold, he shall die for his iniquity. So the grandfather was not going to die. And we're not talking about anything that happened in his past. The father is going to die for his iniquity. But then the son left that way and went into a righteous way. So that talks about people that started off right and stayed right, started off evil and stayed evil, and started off right and stayed right. Even though the third one, they did not have the best example. Now verse 19, Yet you say, why should the son not bear the guilt of the, of the father? That's what they're saying. Why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Because the son has done what is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and, and observed them. He shall surely live. Now they're saying, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Because they want to see themselves as bearing the guilt of their fathers, not their own guilt. Therefore, it's not our fault. If something's not your fault, you can't change it. Isn't that just like the devil? Get it out of the place of you thinking it's your fault because if you don't think it's your fault, if you think it's the fault of somebody else, then you won't change anything. Whereas God is saying you could change it, but you won't because you think what's happening is not anything you can control or change. Because the Son has done what is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and observed them, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the, uh, the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Now God is really going overboard here trying to emphasize this, isn't he? If you sin, you pay for it. If you don't sin, then you don't pay for it. We're not going to take the sin of anyone else and put it upon you. Because you didn't do it. It wasn't your choice. So he's, he's really emphasized this. And, and you would think that if we stop right there, would he have gotten his point across? Probably. But we don't stop there. We keep on going. Because they might be able to come up with something else. So verse 21. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Now notice this, just because you say with your mouth, I repent, he don't care. If a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. The proof is in the pudding, so they say. You can say all you want, I've repented, but if you haven't changed your action, you have not repented. So he's talking about here, there's a wicked man. Now, we're not necessarily talking about the father, the grandfather, or the son. We're just talking about a person 
who is wicked. We're not looking at who, where he came from or who came after him. We're just looking at this one particular one. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all of my statutes, does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. Now we told you before about, about that, the, our sins are not remembered against us. It's not that God doesn't ever remember them or that he cannot remember them. He does not remember them against, against us. Just as Josiah and all those folks repented and, and uh, according to this verse, as they repented and changed their actions, they would live. But of course, they went back. They uh, repented of their repentance. <laughs> and they went back against it. And so, God once again remembered all those sins against those people. But if you walk in, in what is right and do what is right, God will not remember the sins of your past against you. That's what he tells you right here. Now, the enemy doesn't want you to think that way. If, you know, we've all, uh, some of us, our B.C. days, before Christ days, were longer than others. For some of them, just a couple of years. Some of them, it's, uh, you know, almost a decade. Some other ones, maybe it's, you know, we were teenagers or in our 20s or then uh, some even, you know, beyond that. And so you had all those years where you were before Christ doing things that you would do in the world. But whatever it was, you came to a place of repentance and you repented and turned your life around. The enemy sometimes wants you to Remember the things of the past. Remember what you did over there? And, and, uh, you still have to pay for that. And so they get us into that mentality. But not according to God and not according to this prophecy right here. This prophecy that he gave, he says, no, if you, if, I don't care if you started out wicked, if you turn from all your sins, you keep all my statutes, you do what is lawful and right, you will live. You will not die. And I won't remember those sins against you. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Verse 22, or 23, Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? God doesn't get any pleasure out of the wicked dying. Now, I don't know that I always agree with God on that. (laughs) So, I have some work to do. To get that taken care of. Because there's some wicked people that when they go, glory to God. <laughs> you know, I'm just, there's that wicked person. Because they're not just happy to be wicked themselves. They want to take other people down with them. And they want to spread this deception. And uh, that just gets me, that gets me angry. But God still, if they were to turn around, God would get pleasure in them turning around. And I would just have to default to him and say, Father God, if you get pleasure on that, then that's, I'll, I'll be on the side of that happening. <laughs> but I'm not thrilled. I would be, I would be more like, uh, be more like John the Baptist. Who warned you? <laughs> Tell you to get out of the way of the judgment. Go back in that way, I think he was telling them. Get back in the way of judgment. But that's not what's, uh, what's happened here. So God gets pleasure happiness, joy, out of uh, a wicked turning their life around. And of course we know that even from the New Testament about all the angels who rejoice when one turns around. Verse 24, But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity 
and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live. All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed because of them he shall die. I never understood how you could have a debate on eternal security. Because there's verses like this, but I mean, this is as clear as you can be. I don't care if you started out right. I don't care how much righteousness you did. If you're going to turn from it, if you're going to repent from doing right and go off and do wrong, all the good that you did won't be remembered. That sounds to me like that idea of eternal security, once saved, always saved, is not exactly God's view. And if it's not God's view, (laughs) then that's not going to happen in heaven. So people who want to say, well, I got my fire insurance. I'm saved. I can go out there and live any way I want to. Uh, Apparently not. So just as your evil work can be remembered against you, your good work can be remembered for you. And that's what he talks about here. When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness. So he has made an about face. And this has happened. There's people who either, you know, they got disillusioned by somebody in the church or um, something that somebody did or somebody did against them or the enemy just came in with some deception, whatever it might be, but they turned from the things of God. And people can do this. And sometimes we're surprised at who can turn around from what they were doing. But it can be done. Highly not recommended. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live. All the, all the righteousness which he has done. All of it. That whole, he uh, did the things, right things for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Doesn't matter how many, how many years it was. When he turns away from it and goes after and pursues iniquity, this is not someone who just misses God. This is not someone who just Oh, I slipped up. I shouldn't have done that. Oh, Father God, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not the, that is not at all what this is about. We all have times that we've, uh, we've missed up. We've messed up. We've gone in the wrong direction. We feel remorse about it. We come to God. We repent. And we know that there's forgiveness. That we're talking about people that have turned their back against the things, or, or from the things of God. They have walked away from their relationship with God. They have renounced God. I don't believe in this anymore. I'm not pursuing this anymore. We're not just talking about they slipped up once or twice and, and uh, maybe if they were in the uh, drinking and they went out and got drunk or the, in the fornication and went out and got uh, uh, wrapped up in something. We're not just talking about that sort of stuff. We're talking about an entire lifestyle change where I am walking away from the things of God. So do not get that confused in what is being talked about here. Because if you see somebody who they, they walked away they did something they shouldn't have done but uh, they came right back and repented that's not this person (laughs) this is a righteous man who turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity not just commits iniquity turns away from his righteousness I am not pursuing that anymore that is junk that is garbage I don't need to do that anymore I don't believe in God I don't believe in the Bible And they just renounce all that sort of stuff. So that's what he's talking about here. He says if they turn away and they they go this way, their sin that they have committed, this will cause them to die. 
bring them into a place of, of judgment. Now, I suppose, now he can keep on going with examples here, but I suppose that if you started out right, and then you made a turn and went wicked, and then still made another turn and came back and, and went after God, then um, I suppose, you know, you'd be okay with that too. If you want to take a look at the prodigal son, he surely started off in the right way. And then he went in the wrong direction. But then he came to his senses and came back. And uh, he was apparently in that parable, he was brought into as a son, not as a servant. So you could even uh, use that as more of an example for that. Verse 25, Yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. How many saw a little picture I put up there on Facebook? <laughs> little kid. <clears throat> People want to say God's not fair. Because all the way back here into the Old Testament. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel, is it not my way which is fair, and your ways which are not fair? You know, it's just like little kids. So I put that little little picture of the little kid up there saying it's not fair. How many times do little kids say something's not fair because they're not getting it their way? It's not in a way that will benefit them. Oh, it's neat when you find the little kids who can see that something needs to be fair all the way around. Oh, if I do that, that wouldn't be fair. How special is that when you see that? But a lot of times you find the ones that are just stomping their feet, making a fuss, because I want this. And it's not fair that I don't get what I want. That's what Israel is doing. It's not fair that I'm not getting what I want. So the Lord is not fair. So he addresses this. You say the way of the Lord is not fair. People have said this. People have come up with their own ideas. This God's not fair if he doesn't allow people to just worship God any way they want to. Well, they're not God. But they're going to say that their way is fair and God's way is not. And that's what he says here. O house of Israel, is it not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair? Well, God sure has an ability to look out for more people than just himself. He surely proved that by sending his own son to die on this earth and to suffer because it would benefit us. So if anyone's going to be fair, it's going to be him. So people will say God's not fair. This thinking comes about when I think everyone should do it my way. God's not fair because you're not doing it the way I want it to be done. I want it done this way. You know, people get up there and with the, they get out to Washington and they all got their lobbies. Our group needs this much money. It's not fair. We need to get this much money. And, uh, they're not looking at the overall scheme of things. They're just looking at their narrow little thing. I need to have money for this particular cause, whatever the cause. It doesn't matter what the cause is, but, you know, they got their lobbying group out there. Because we need to have money for our cause. And it's not fair. You know, they do that cause. They're sold out to that cause. That cause is the most important thing. Of all the causes that are out there, that's the most important one. But whoever has the uh, purse strings, who's ever controlling all, all where all the money goes, they have to look at all the causes. And all the things that need money. And if we give you as much money as you say that you're getting, uh, that you say you need, I won't have some money to, to put over here for this one. And we have to have some money over here for this. And we have to have some money over here for this. And then there's these causes over here. And you got to take what's there and divide it all up. 
So that person has to get into a thing that's fair. But how many times do we hear? Well, that's not fair. We're not getting our, getting our bit. And then, of course, the press, they were real fun over the uh, last couple of decades. I've, I've seen them do this where, uh, I forget what the, there's a certain type of accounting that the government uses for, and I, I, I know it. I just can't think what it is. But in this particular type of accounting, every year it's expected that whatever group gets X amount of money or for whatever department or whatever the budget is, that budget will go up a certain amount. Two percent, four percent. I don't know what the amount is, but they will all increase over that time. And so there was a lot of people in the press and, and even some political candidates who would, who would do this. And they would tell you that so-and-so wants to cut the budget for a particular cause. And I know at one point they were, they were using the cause of uh, the kids' school, uh, the kids' uh, school lunch program. Remember that? Do you remember all the fuss that was done about that? And then one group of people, they wanted to starve kids. And it's unfair. And they had kids in school write letters to their congressmen, please don't make me go hungry. That's what they actually did. And, and, and no one was cutting the budget. All that it did was, instead, I'm just throwing out numbers. I don't know what the numbers were. It's way too long ago. Say that it was $100,000 they had for this particular amount. Well, the increase would go to something like $110,000. So instead of $110,000, we are going to do one hundred and five. So they actually got more than they had the year before, but it was put in as a budget cut because it cut from what they expected to get on the increase. So a lot of times when you hear budget cuts, it's not actual cut that's being done. It's this particular account. There's a term for it. I just cannot remember the name of it. But this particular type of accounting that is done that um, you can call a cut if you don't get as much of an increase as you thought. So if you have a salary of $60,000 and you're expecting that salary to increase to $65,000 and the boss comes to you and says, we can't afford $65,000, we're going to just raise you up to to $62,000 and you start raising the fuss. They cut my wages. Well, they didn't cut your wages. They gave you a $2,000 a year raise. But you see, that's how it can go on. So just be careful when they throw out stuff like that. They're just trying to to persuade people to go in a certain direction. Just find out what was the numbers last year, what's the numbers this year. And that will tell you right there what what's going on with it. But the press, of course, they don't have that with that sort of thing. They don't tell people what's actually going on with it. But in, anyway, we get the idea. Things aren't fair because it's not being done my way. So God is saying, whose perspective is better, our perspective or God's? I think God's is. But that depends on how much you trust Him. And it depends on how much you uh, you honor Him. And if you're not going to do what He says to do in His Word, you're not going to honor His Word, you're going to be out there worshiping idols and stuff like that, I suppose that you're not going to trust Him that much. And that you're going to walk away from it and think that, well, God's not fair. Now, who would sow such a contrary thought? Where do you think that kind of a contrary thought would come from? And he's done this. Satan has done this constantly. He is always trying to get us to think that God does not care. Remember Martha out in the kitchen? Master, don't you care? Remember when Jesus was late getting there with Lazarus? That same idea was, was prevalent. 
and, and many times we see this in the in the Word of God, where Jesus or others are being accused of not caring. Jesus on the boat, boat's going down. Disciples come to to him, carest thou not? God, this isn't fair. We're over here working, we're over here laboring, and you're over here sleeping, then we're gonna die. This is not fair. Don't you don't you care? But see, the enemy loves to get this kind of idea into people because it drives a wedge between them and God. And if there's a wedge between them and God, then all sorts of other things can come in and fill that gap. And wrong doctrines will come in, the wrong thinking about God, wrong expectations about God. And this is the this is the mindset that Israel has, whether they're in Jerusalem or whether they're over by by Babylon. This is the mindset. He has cultivated this mindset that God is not fair. He is putting sins upon us that we didn't do. Therefore, they're resistant to the things of God. And so he is able to slip in even more more things for them to do. Well, if God's going to do this to you, why do you hold to this? Why don't you break this? Why don't you go and... and Why do you make the trip all the way out to Jerusalem for the sacrifice? Just do it up here in the high place. And we just make compromises. Well, has God really said that you've got to put this tithe away or that you've got to make this sacrifice or that the firstborn has to be killed? I mean, what's God doing for you that you've got to do all this for Him? And see, it gets to that mentality that goes on. And so all sorts of stuff can come in. The devil loves this mentality of people thinking things are not fair. I'm not getting my share. You know, it's a... Who is it? Uh, Charlie Brown's sister in the Christmas special? I just want my fair share. No, it was one of the shows that they did. I just want my fair share. I just want what's rightfully mine. <laughs> I don't remember which one that was, but I remember her lines on that one. Boy, she was something else. The way of the Lord is not fair. And this is the, this is the thinking. You'll see this very much in the world. How much of the world is thinking that, that the way of God is not fair? It's too exclusive. It doesn't allow for, uh, for uh, other w- ways of thinking. It doesn't allow for other, other kinds of lifestyles. And we've got to be able to have these, these things going on. God's way is not fair. We've got to adjust some of the things in the Word of God to make it more fair for everybody. And boy, you can just... Go after all kinds of wrong things with that. Verse 26, When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. So to God, it's pretty clear. Now we see some people in iniquity and we're wondering, when's that death happening? I don't know about you, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. Sometimes I see people in this iniquity doing things, hurting people. When is this going to happen? Again, when a wicked man turns away from his from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. So the wicked man can preserve his own life by turning away from the wickedness and going after the righteousness. Now, um, if you remember Jonah, he wasn't too happy when the wicked repented. And they turned away and he said, See, I knew you'd do that. They'd repent and you'd forgive them. He wanted them to be judged because they were enemies of Israel. Verse 28, Because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, 
He shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not fair, O house of Israel. Is it not my ways which are fair, and your ways which are not fair? He repeats himself here. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that you, so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. That's a pretty strong word coming against the thinking that was not only prevalent in Israel, it's still prevalent even today. God, But God will judge each according to what they have done. He's not going to do it for those that came before. So, this, this can help us out that whatever it is that has been done by my fathers does not come down upon me. God will judge each according to what they have done not by those actions from those they came from. So if we had evil parents or evil grandparents who did not serve God, God's not going to visit the things that they did down upon us as long as we've walked away from those those things. Now, does God expect this attitude from us as well? If God is not going to hold us accountable for things that we did not do, but our fathers did, would he not also expect that attitude out of us? Doesn't usually, doesn't, isn't it usually the case that if God displays an attitude, he expects us to come after it? That God wants us to love the world the way he loves the world. God wants us to love his son the way he loves his son. God wants us to love and honor his word the way he loves and honors his word. Whatever the attitude is that God has, he wants us to have the same attitude. He wants us to have the same attitude in forgiveness that He has. We should forgive the way that He forgives. We should be faithful the way that He is faithful. So if God expects this attitude from us, how can we get pulled from it? And people do get pulled from it. And we see this going on in, in, our, in the sins of our fathers today. This, is, this attitude is still very prevalent it didn't just happen in Israel. It happened in the years that, that, that were after Israel. And it happened in the, our years here as well. I've shared this with you only on a few occasions. But um, I, I know I've, I've, I've shared it at least with you. But for the longest time in my, in my life, uh, I remember being just, just ashamed of my German heritage. Longest time I was ashamed of my German heritage. And I can't, I don't, I don't have that much German in me. But my name is 100% German. <laughs> there's, there's no getting around. My last name, that's as German as you can get. And so, um, you know, that came from my, my father's father. And even though I uh, recently found out my uh, grandmother on that side was uh, Irish. And maybe a few other things and that. So I got probably more Irish than I do German. And uh, my other side was European. And I don't know what else. I've got so many things to me. I don't care where they are. And I don't care where I came from. I don't, I don't send my DNA. You may have sent your DNA away to get it, and that's fine if you want to figure all that stuff out. I just, it doesn't matter to me. And so I don't, uh, I don't mess with it. But I know for the longest time I was ashamed 
because of all the things that went on in World War II with Nazi Germany and the stuff that they had done with the, the Jewish people and the, the camps and the, the, the people they'd done. I just was ashamed of it. I said, ah, oh, to, to think that anyone in my history may have come from there. And I didn't do any searching in their history. I didn't go back there and find any. I may have had relatives that were on the side of fighting the Nazis. If I, you know, wherever they were, however far back they go into Germany. I don't know. I didn't check it out. But just the, the shame from all that. I know that it, it followed me. Uh, to this day, I don't know if it's so much out of that. I just can't stand seeing the atrocities. Uh, watching World War II stuff. I have a, I have a difficult time with that. Uh, that's just the things the Nazis were doing. They were, uh, uh, it was, it was terrible. Of course, the Soviets, they were out there doing just as, just as bad as stuff. In fact, I think that they actually killed more people than the Nazis did. And, uh, uh, just sheer numbers of people. They didn't just limit it to Jewish people. They were out after a whole lot of other people. And Brother Rick Renner talked about some of the areas in Siberia that he would go to. And he said they had buried so many bodies out there. And because it was so cold, you couldn't bury them too deep. He says, uh, the, they're just being, they're being pushed up. And so they're just bodies all, or just skeletons all over from, from that era of when they were just, uh, killing people and just bury them. You know, they'd send them out to Siberia to work until they died and then they take care of them, bury them and, and stuff like that. But this is, these are some of the things we had. And you had that idea that the fathers should pay for the, for the things that they did. Now, I don't feel that way about Germany today. I don't think Germany today is anything like what it was under Hitler. Because they've, they've made a change from that. I don't see that the, uh, the, the, the same Soviet Union is uh, now that they have a little bit more roots. They're going, going back so, more so than the, uh, than the Germany does because they didn't quite make the, the stronger break from it. But uh, if you go back into Russia's earlier history, they were even more vicious uh, prior to Lenin and Stalin. They just were just such viciousness in the in that mentality, um, the Empire of Japan. I don't feel any any anything at all to people that are of Japanese descent, because I know that the Empire of Japan, the emperor that was there, caused that country to do things that most of the country didn't want to do. He was very aggressive in in his quest to take over the world. Now there were some people in the in Japan that were right on board with him. But there was a whole lot of people who didn't have the power to stand up against it and had to go along with it. But then even here in our country, and this is where you're going to see a lot of this going on today. Most of that is, is older history, and maybe we, we can walk away from it. But you'll see this going on in the press today. It's, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, keeps showing its head up. And now we have, uh, new terminology in this. But the whole idea of slavery in this country. And that we want to hold people accountable. You know, there's, I got that thing of, uh, I can't, the, the word that they use for it. Reparations. That is, that the money ought to be going in there. And when I, when I hear about that, I think about, well, what, what happened to all the lives that people gave up to get rid of that? There is no country in the world that I know of that ever went to war to end it. But you see, when they get this thinking, and this is where we have to be careful. If I allow this thinking to come in, and this is what the world is pushing for. This kind of thing go on. If I accept that, 
into my life, then what I have done is I have allowed the sins of the fathers to come upon the sons. That's going against the things of God. It's going against the mentality of God. If I do that, look at the Word of God. Whenever God, whenever Jesus gave a parable, whenever He gave a story, and someone had a wrong view of God, did He not always judge them by their wrong view? All right, this is what you think I was. I'll judge you by that. Remember the, the, the guy with the talent who went and buried it? Well, you thought I was an austere man, reaping where I did not sow and so forth. Well, I'll judge you by that. People who have a wrong idea about God, God can judge them by their wrong idea because they don't really believe that wrong idea and they didn't keep it consistent. But if the enemy can get this mentality into our thinking, you know, shortly after the, the, the war with Germany, if people had this mentality that all, all Germans were evil, and the, the, the enemy could put that wall between and cause hate to be, uh, be instilled with, with other people. He's bringing that judgment down upon them. Because God has said, I don't visit the sins of the fathers on the sons. If they don't do it, they're not guilty of it. But you see where the press goes? Now, this is an ungodly press. I understand they are ungodly as can be. And any idea that the devil has, who wants he wants to put things in, they just accept it and they just run with it. But if I allow any of those kind of things to come into my thinking, I am going against the things of God and putting myself into a place of judgment. And the enemy loves putting Christians into a place of judgment. Remember back in... Um, Israel's history, when they're walking through the wilderness and Balaam was called upon and he couldn't curse them. And so what did he do? He counseled the king as to how to make Israel walk into a path in which they would be judged. He says, dress up your women, send them on down there, entice them to come on out and involved in your idolatrous sacrifices and they will be judged by their God. And they were. It worked to a degree. Unfortunately, the high priest went in there. That was the whole spear thing. Remember he ran somebody, one of the couples, one of the men of Israel with one of the, the, the daughters there and ran them through with a spear and uh, curtailed the anger of God against them because he, he took up that, that panel. Be careful of allowing this kind of thinking to come in. If you get drawn into this sins of the fathers, the sins of the fathers are visited upon, then that's, that can come down upon me. Aren't you glad that you are not guilty of the sins of your fathers, mothers, relatives, that whatever it is that they did, God doesn't come and say, hey, wait a minute. Your aunt, your uncle, your grandfather did this and I want some uh, payment for that. <laughs> Aren't you glad he doesn't come and do that? That I only have to be uh, responsible for the sins I actually did? That's Yeah, that is enough, isn't it? Holy cow. I don't need to be having somebody else's stuff thrown on me. But if I hold somebody else to that standard, then God, by the standard of his word, will hold me to it. Remember the, the, the man who was forgiven a great debt? And then he went out and would not forgive the small debt. So he get called back in. Wait a minute, I forgave you the great debt. 
Yeah. And you can go out and forgive this small debt? No. Well, then I pull them back the forgiveness for you. See, I'm judging you by the same judgment you just judged. The enemy loves this. He wants to pull us into a judgment that will get us in trouble. That takes us over to the generational curses too. That he loves us thinking that because this has happened in my family, it is on as a generational curse. And this is along the same mentality. But God is not going to visit what has happened to your relatives upon you. But he's got this thinking on a lot of people. Now in generational curses, there are learned behaviors and or a learned thinking that will cause us to yield the same fruit that those people did. They're teaching us the same kind of a thinking. We had somebody who came out to church here for, for a long time, a, a number of times, some of you may remember. And they had, he had in his generations, uh, that the, the men were dying in their twenties. I believe it was their twenties or late twenties or somewhere around there, uh, heart attacks. And he made mention of it to, to us as, as we heard about that. And uh, he was standing against it. He was believing God and standing against it. And constantly out of his mouth. All that we ever heard. Just, nope, I'm, I'm changing that. I'm not going in that direction. I don't have to, to do that. Well, eventually, uh, they were involved in some kind of, some kind of stuff that uh, uh, they needed more contact. So they decided to go to a church that had more people. And in doing so, they got away from the word. And they got away from that confession. And it wasn't more than a few years. He was dead. He died. Now, I don't know all the things that happened in between those years. Uh, I just know that that's, that's something that was in his past. It was something he was standing up against. But he died. That's not a good way to go. Brother, uh, some of you probably have heard Brother Keith talk about, uh, Brother Keith Moore talk about uh, that his, uh, the men in his, his family, his grandfather, his father, was it his great-grandfather too? Or is it, I know at least went back to his grandfather and his father died in the young 20s by a gunshot. Somebody shot him. And he tells the story. How many, how many have heard the story? No? Tells the story that, that uh, he was uh, meeting some guy in a truck at a truck stop. And uh, I don't remember how born again he was at this point. <laughs> how much he was following after God. But um, he was supposed to meet this guy. And so he saw his truck there, but he wasn't out. And so he went over to the truck to to get him. And he knocked on the truck. You know, it was one of those sleeper cabs. You sleep in the thing. He knocked on it, and um, he didn't answer. So he didn't know where he was. So he just turned around and he left. And a few days later, I think it was, or sometime anywhere after that, he uh, saw this guy. And he said, hey, I was I tried to meet up with you that night and knocked on your door. And you weren't, uh, you, you didn't answer. He said, that was you? He said, yeah. He said, well, I heard the knocking, but I was high on something he was on, high on. And I said, I had my gun in my hand and I was ready to shoot whoever opened that door. If he had opened the door, he would have been shot. But you see, he came against it, or somebody came against it and, and, um, altered that and he didn't die that way, but all, all through growing up, his, uh, the woman in his family were saying, you look so much like your grandfather. Oh, you look so much like your father. And they died when they were. <laughs> they told them the whole thing. 
So you can break these things. The enemy doesn't want you to think that you can. This is what happened. They died of a heart attack. You're going to die of a heart attack. They died of high blood pressure. You're going to die of high blood pressure. They died of an accident. They died of a gunshot. You're going to die of a gunshot. He just wants to kill you. And I remember uh, uh, Brother Keith, I think it was in line with this. He was um, uh, sharing something uh, on this, this line. We're talking with God. And somehow it came up that uh, ask, ask the devil why he hasn't killed you so far. Or why you haven't died so far. Something like that. See, the devil, he just can't come in and kill you. He doesn't have that ability. But he can get you to agree with him to, that you should die. <laughs> That's a different matter. Don't fall into agreement. But see, these are some of the ways he'll, he'll do it. God will not visit the sins of the fathers on the sons. Neither should you entertain the mentality of the world that says the sins of the fathers should fall upon the sons. Don't entertain that. Don't bring that in. You resist it. You stand up against it. Because if you do, whatever judgment you decide to put out on other people is the same judgment that you're opening yourself up for and the enemy knows this. And if he can bring you into a place of judgment, he's going to do it. But you don't have to let him do it. And this whole word of prophecy that came was to, to battle this. Now, Jeremiah battles it too. You can go over, we gave you the verse for it. You can go over and see what Jeremiah does to, to battle this mentality. But they had it over in the land of Judah and they had it over in the land of Babylon. This thinking was there. This isn't our fault. God is visiting the sins of the fathers on us. It's because of the sins of Manasseh. And those were mentioned many, many times. The sins of Manasseh. It's because of, of those sins. That's why this is being, this is going on. But right there, Israel was worshiping idols. We saw in so, so far in this book, they had idol worship going on right around the courtyard of the temple of God. That's not something their fathers did. This is something they did. And examples were given of things that Israel was doing. Not their fathers. Them. Just know that the enemy is going to try and get you to, to judge where you should not be judging. Because that will bring you into that place as well. If you desire mercy, show mercy. We don't need to bring, bring that mentality in. Stand on guard against it. Because it's out there in the world. I've heard it. i heard people keep talking about it. But don't let it come near you. If they wanted to come near them, hey, have at it. That judgment's coming down upon you. But you do the things of God. You keep the mentality that God wants you to keep. You keep His mentality. If God desires to see the wicked repent, then you need to desire to see the wicked repent. I have to keep telling myself that. Because sometimes I see some of these news reporters and some of the wickedness that they're doing and spreading. But if God wants them to repent, all right, then we need to, we need to be just as happy that they repent. But quite a, uh, quite a stirring exhortation where he's pulling down a thinking, a proverb that they had. I think I wrote in parable in your outline there. I saw that one as I was reading over it. But it's a proverb that he had come against. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you.
that you do not visit the sins of our fathers down upon us. We don't have to go back through and find out who all of our fathers and mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers were and find out what sins they did and what they may have done so that we can repent for it. Boy, what bondage that would be. But the enemy tries to bring people in this kind of bondage. And we do not need that kind of bondage going on. I thank you, Father, that we are free. We are free from this sort of thinking. We are free from this way of walking. We are not going to hold people accountable for the things that their fathers had done. Because we know that if we stay free of that, we stay free of any judgment that would bring the sins of the fathers down upon us. We are going to forgive the way you forgive. We're going to love the way that you love. We're going to have care for the wicked and the just the way that you have care for the wicked and the just. And I thank you, Father, for the freedom that you have brought us into. The enemy wants to bring us into bondage, but you have brought us into a place of freedom. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.